Hey there, I'm Kevin Daisy. And I'm Eric Olson. You're listening to the Managing Partners Podcast, where we interview top lawyers about how they're growing their firms. All right. We are live. LinkedIn, YouTube. What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in. And for anyone listening to this in the future here on the Managing Partners podcast, we're doing another live recording. And I have a guest today, Regina Campbell. Regina, thanks so much for coming on. How you doing? Good, good. Thank you for having me. It's it's a pleasure. Yeah. So let's get right into it. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself, personally, kind of where you're from, where you live, and then uh, tie that into how you started your firm and how you ended up where you are today. Okay. Well, I'm actually uh, born and raised in Miami. I'm one of the rare uh, native Floridians. And um, I, I, I speak Spanish. I'm fluent in Spanish, despite my name. That actually usually surprises people. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, so, um, basically, when I was uh, younger, I always actually wanted to be an attorney. When I graduated from school, I actually had the opportunity to build uh, some businesses with what is it, with whom is my now my ex-husband. And we kind of uh, I was an entrepreneur for a while, for about 10 years, actually, before going directly into law school. Um, maybe not 10 years, a little less than 10 years. And then basically, once I uh, got divorced, experienced a divorce, like many people, uh, went ahead and, well, went to law school, I was married, did get divorced and came back home. Basically, I was in New York, which is like my second, like my second hometown, so to speak. I love New York City in particular. And uh, went ahead and started what my childhood dream was, which is my law firm. And I cater particularly to corporate, uh, you know, corporate clients, business clients. The family law business came in as a result of some of my own experiences and just in general, um, understanding complex nature of businesses and financial um, sort of wherewithal and revenue and income and stuff like that from the corporate side. That's very helpful and particularly complex family cases. So, and then I, I really appreciate and enjoy that personal side of family that allows me to connect with people and, and families as a unit and potentially help them get through a really rough time. So. Excellent. And I, I guess um, maybe there's an assumption, but do some of your corporate or business uh, clients reach out for family related issues? Yes, they do. Often that that is what happens, or they refer someone to me. But often it's my business uh, clients that you know say you know I'm either going through a divorce, uh, whether it's sometimes it's amicable. You know, Regina, can you help me? You know, figure this out. We want to make sure we get a good valuation. I want to be able to take care of her or him, but I don't want to destroy the business. Can you help me come up with you know you know problem solve basically a creative solution? You know, sometimes evaluation is involved. The two attorneys. It's it's about keeping a heightened situation as calm as you can in those circumstances. You know, if it's unfortunately contentious, depending on what role I've played or if I know the other spouse or they were one of the owners, I may be potentially conflicted out and just represent the company itself as a corporate counsel, um, which I can also do as a third party businesses as well. So in other words, like if you're a partner in a business and you get sued um, or, or sorry, you're a partner in the business and your partner gets sued for divorce and the business is brought in as a third party defendant, I a lot of times can represent the company and that family action, family law action, because I understand both sides, which which is unusual, corporate and the family side. Yeah, that is an uh, interesting combination, which uh, is cool to see that you guys are unique in that way. So, so what you know, what kinds of and, and you could pick, I guess, uh, a, a practice area that you would focus on, but maybe maybe it's on the corporate side. And I'm I can probably relate to this since I do run a business. But uh, what are some of the kind of challenges that your clients face? Now, this could be you know existing clients maybe, but when someone has that referral, reaches out to you for the first time, you know, what kind of challenges you know would you say they typically face? Well, 
Well, most of the time, people are a little bit sort of stunned or surprised that the legal world actually, um, you know, the rules involve what people can kind of get away with for a certain amount of time and the cost involved in, you know, litigating uh, or potentially resolving these issues, especially when you don't have an operating agreement or something in place that is helpful for the court to understand sort of the status quo that exists. Um, so a lot of times the challenges are getting them to understand the legal practicality of litigation, the pros and the cons of it. I, I always start off with, what are we talking about here? How much money are we talking about an issue? Let me talk to you about how much it's going to cost to litigate it. Let me tell you how distracted you might be, you know, from a psychological point of view, it might disrupt your business from having to take care of this and enter this type of litigation. Let's look at all different the avenues so that you can really see if this is right for you. Let's look at the strength of the case, the, you know, what, what, what happened? You know, is it not clear an element potentially of causation? I'm going to talk to you about the pros and cons of it. So these are some of the things my client faces, my clients may face or someone may face when they're thinking about coming to an end of litigation, a matter particularly. And it happens across the board. People are usually surprised at how long the system can take and how expensive and really how the elements of proving these things are not, they're not like we know, like as a practical, you know, like, hey, we know that's true. You know what I mean? <laughs> I saw it, you know, it's really not always that simple. It's about evidence and getting the witness and the witnesses doesn't remember what he sees later on. And, you know, is the doc document authenticated? So they're right, awfully surprised by that. So I, I try to make sure they understand that early on, what, what, what they have to face going forward. Well, that, well, that makes sense. And I guess that would kind of lead me to my next question is uh, what, what kind of mistakes do you see commonly made uh, with your clients? So like you said, it seems straightforward, but maybe they didn't document something or or have clear evidence of something or, or whatever, but I guess what kind of mistakes do you see commonly made uh, by the clients? Well, a lot of times they think that they did document things better than it was. So uh, whether they had a contract that stated what they, you know, what they thought the terms were, uh, or they have a text that shows that they deviated from the terms, that's often an issue, you know? Um, and also they take it, and this is personal, these are people's lives, but sometimes some litigation can be, someone's objectively just feels like they're owed money and they want their money back and a breach of a contract. Some people make it personal on the other side to aggravate you. So a lot of times they can't step back and be objective about really what's going on to make a decision. A lot of times it's initially based on emotional. This person stole from me. They did this. They did that. I want to go after them and get everything from them. Sometimes you have to step back and just say what it is that you're actually trying to accomplish. What is that goal? Um, and can I really accomplish it in court? Because some things are just morally wrong, you know, and can't necessarily be uh, rectified in court or the value in the sense of the legal system is not necessarily the same as you think it is in your mind. So a lot of times they just don't understand the nature of like really what they had. They don't realize the informality that they had and how much more difficult they made it. You know, oh, I trusted him. I told him verbally. I told her verbally. And it's like, yes, but now we have to prove who's telling the truth, you know? So those are often the common mistakes and agreements. I can't tell you how many times shareholders come to me. Uh, you know, I got locked out of my business. Literally, I got locked out. I came in one day, my key was changed. Uh, they took me off the bank accounts. How can they do this? Well, do you have an operating agreement? No. <laughs> <laughs> how can you prove you're even an owner? I have a check that says I gave him 50,000. Does it even say on the memo that you're not? Uh, no. Yeah. So then we get into that. <laughs> yeah, I've heard, of, I've heard of things like that before where there was just a handshake, you know, type of agreement and nothing really documented. Yes. And, and unfortunately, we, you know, a lot of us live in a world where that is a lot of how you do business and people want to do business with you is by handshake and getting to knowing your reputations. But I find that a lot of fraudsters, they take advantage of that. They go to people that are used to doing business a different way and they say, hey, you know me, I'm so-and-so's brother. Uh, we don't need a contract. Forget about that. You know what I mean? And unfortunately, that's where 
you know, the, uh, <laughs> the difficulty lies, shall I say? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. And, um, you know, we, we have a lot of clients that you know, we have to have an agreement and sign it. And, you know, it's, and back in the day I used to have, you know, not, not that, but just be like, Here, here's an estimate. Here's what we're going to do. And let's agree to do it. But, uh, yeah, those days are, are long gone, um, for how we do things, but it's, uh, yeah, you just, that you have to have something in writing that, that lays it all out and you can mutually agree on. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be a lot easier for those, you know, if a situation like that comes up, that's for sure. Um, quick question. We have a question, some questions coming in. So I just want to throw okay. one up just because it relates to now, because I'm going to get into some more marketing questions here in a second. But uh, this is from Sean Raxdale. Can you explain good fortune child support and how it works in cases? <laughs> I think Sean must have just seen the article that we just posted or the blog. <laughs> I can't answer this question. So this is on you. Yes. Well, I'm going to give you some general information, but obviously, I mean, because I don't know Sean's specific situation, but if you're a high income earner, a lot of times people don't realize in Florida, some of those states do not have what they call good fortune. Uh, but in Florida, you basically go by a child support calculation. It's sort of an equation, right? You put each party's gross income, you figure out what the net income is, what the overnights are, and it gives sort of a statutory, you know, what amount they think you should pay for each child or how many children you have. In a good fortune case, you're going to go, you're going to increase beyond the child support guidelines that are stated. And then in which case it says you have to add a certain percentage for every, you know, 10,000 that each party together, mother and father make. Uh, and then you figure out the percentage. Well, if you are someone that makes 40 million, you know, or 400,000 a month or a million dollars a month, so you're really high income, you run those equations and it's 15, 10, 15, 20, 30, $40,000 a month in child support. Well, often a child does not need really that much money <laughs> to live. And it becomes sort of I, a good. I point. think my kids do. Yeah, well, I think my I think mine think that I make that much, <laughs> you know, and they can certainly spend it faster than I can make it. But I mean, uh, or they think they want to. Um, so basically, um, you know, so what happens is, is in those kind of cases, a judge can deviate and say, well, what does a child really need now? A child is supposed to have a similar station in life, what one of the, you know, one or both of the parents experience. So when one parent has a higher sort of standard of living, the child should be able to partake in that higher standard of living. So when that's how you figure out the calculation, but a judge can go through and look at the factors and see if that's really a reasonable amount. If the child support guideline comes back at 20,000 a month, you might argue, listen, okay, he'll pay for college. He'll put some money potentially in a child's trust account. You know, we want to ask the court to modify potentially downward to meet the, the child's actual needs, which will still be fairly high, but it won't be the other parent potentially having a windfall, you know, and maybe some of that money is put aside for a child. You can make the argument that maybe some of the child supports put into a trust that will ultimately be in the child's best interest. So, you know, whether it's by agreement or discussion with the court, that's pretty much what it means by a good fortune support case. Okay, excellent. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I guess okay. that that would be handled a little bit differently, but um, not something I was familiar with. So, Sean, yeah. good question. Yes, good um, question. And thank you for reading question. my blog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's another one from Sean. We'll go through a couple okay. of these questions now, just because uh, Sean asked a couple back to back. So, have you seen any trends in COVID-related cases pertaining to family law, employment law? Okay, uh, I was surprised I didn't actually see more. Uh, so, really, this area hasn't been tested. Uh, the EEOC is just recently coming out with some more guidelines, even about COVID vaccines. And of course, there's been a loosening on the restrictions as far as mask mandates, even inside of a building. But many, you know, inside of an office, many companies can still choose to, you know, have a mask mandate. Uh, now they're, you know, now they're living giving employers a little bit more leniency to require potentially vaccines. You have to be very careful of the questions that you ask, whether or not an employee has been vaccinated or not. You can ask the question, but you got to be careful not to elicit potentially other medical conditions or disabilities they have, because then you would be invading, invading their privacy too much. 
Um, from a family law side, where we saw most of these issues come about was during the, um, the lockdowns when you had time sharing. So one parent might be really strict about letting the children, you know, go out and, you know, not go out and see friends and, and, and sort of lock in place. The other parent may not have been, or, or you know, so where they were letting them go out with friends and they wouldn't be adhering to the social distancing rules and potentially limitations on the lockdown. So we had issues where are you, were you, you know, exposing the child to potentially additional damage? And especially when this is fairly a new virus and there wasn't a lot of, you know, didn't seem like it affected children a lot at the time. It's a hard argument to make, but also the children were for the most part not in school, so you couldn't really see effect on them. So, and then a lot of times they would say, okay, you can't go to the other parent's house because the other parent potentially was a doctor as well. And they have a higher risk of spreading it to the child because of the type of job that they were doing. So early on, we saw a little bit more uh, family law sort of cases related to COVID. It's not so much now, unless there's a special need, a child has a special medical need or something of that nature. Okay, I, I've, I've wanted that too. And I know um, for different types of law, uh, whether it's personal injury and other things like that, there's definitely been you know, no commuting going on as much. So there's effective there. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, and we're divorced, you could see maybe, I, I yeah. guess, a, a spike there. It, uh, it with, did. Hey, yeah, some of the some yeah some of the courts even issued administrative orders trying to parse the difference. If you know the or the parent with the most time sharing would keep the child until maybe the lockdown is over, unless it's possible for them to exchange the time sharing without violating the lockdown rules. But unfortunately, and I understand why we have so much nuance with every family is different. Every family is different, so there was so much nuance that so they couldn't possibly cover. It ended up leaving sometimes more questions and answers, and then it just had to be individually litigated, basically, because you know everyone's different. So. <laughs> yep, every, everything's different. So, okay, well, let's get into uh, some things about uh, marketing and, and bringing in clients. So, mm -hmm. what you know, how how do you get clients? So, mm -hmm. uh, what's what have you guys found marketing strategy wise, or you know maybe word of mouth mm -hmm. referrals? But what do you guys mm -hmm. do at your firm to get clients? Well, I mean, we do use a variety of social media tools, whether it's with, you know, posting blogs or videos, uh, we write pieces to help answer some of the questions. We might also do some lecturing at some events and networking events and stuff for businesses. A lot of word of mouth, of course, for business owners and families even more so. Family laws, honestly, people do look at my videos and they, I've, had a, I've got a, numerous clients off my blogs and social media posts. It gives them a chance to get to know us a little bit more. But family law particularly is very, uh, a referral, more referral. I know so-and-so, they did a good job for me. You know, uh, call her. Yeah, well, uh, kudos on that. I mean, so yeah, that, how I started my business was word of mouth, referrals, getting to know people. And, and then of course you've, but you've now, you're doing content, social media, and, um, you know, I saw this on, uh, I think on your Facebook page, you're about to release a, um, a how to series yeah. and, uh, and a podcast. So yeah. uh, tell us a little bit about sure. that and, and what your plans are and maybe kind of when, when the podcast will be available for people to tune okay. into. Yes. Thank you for asking. We're really excited about it. So we want to do a how to series on YouTube. Um, so just maybe it makes it a little bit user friendly to understand maybe some of these legal complicated issues that people aren't used to and how to, you know, how to do this and how to do that. So we call it the how-to series that we're going to be launching. And then the podcast is going to have episodes related to family and corporate law, various issues that come up similar to the ones you've asked me today, you know, just answering those questions and taking apart issues, maybe with operating agreements, shareholder disputes, things like a lot of the questions I get and just basically talking to them a little bit about the different things you have to think about when you go into this or if you see if you have a case or what kind of help that you may need. So we do expect it to come out in June, probably the second half in June. Really excited about it. I hope everyone 
tunes in and uh, goes to our website and, and we will be sending out the information on the URL soon. Our YouTube channel is, you know, you go to YouTube, the CampbellLawGroup.com, or you can see it on our website, how to get to the YouTube page. Appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Yeah. So check out Regina's uh, website. Uh, I'm sure they'll, that'll all be linked up there when that comes out. But I think too, for um, other managing partners tuning in to this now or later, I don't, don't come across a lot of, of law firms or managing partners that uh, have a podcast or a YouTube mm -hmm. channel. There are some out there very successful, of course, but it's a wide open uh, landscape in my mind. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, I, I spoke with a, a divorce attorney uh, in Colorado last week. They have a podcast that has been very successful at generating, you know, new clients and they, they do tips and how to's and, and things to look out for and, and things like that. And it's, it's been huge for them. And um, so I, kudos on taking that step and, and getting that started. And, you know, again, anyone listening, check out what, what Gina's doing, check out our website, check out the episode. Even if you're a lawyer, not going to be a, maybe a client uh, or she might, you know, be to hire as a client, but learn what she's doing and, you know, take, take note, I think. So. Yes. Yeah. And we also, you know, we also do co-counsel with other attorneys and we just also are launching a new special master services. We find that, uh, so in other words, we become like a special master for in a case between there might be two attorneys in a complex, whether it's family or corporate case or, you know, family or corporate. And basically a lot of times you have discovery fights, some are skirmishes, some are a lot wars. <laughs> so a lot of times um, a special master can come in and be either privately or be appointed by the court to sort of get their hands in here. And it's like an independent person to take control of the discovery and tell the court really what's going on. Because a lot of times the parties might spend a significant amount of money fighting about, I gave you that document. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. And they're filing motions back and forth. And it's taking, you know, a long time to do this. So a special master might be able to help cut through some of those issues. So uh, also attorneys, we work with attorneys, we do referrals, referral fees as well, and co-counsel cases. So by all means, it hopefully can also be helpful for some attorneys to get to know us and see how we might be able to help you know, them and their clients. So, so basically you have the YouTube show um, and then the podcast are, they're basically two, two different uh, mm -hmm. things. So the, the podcast is focused on uh, the business side of things. And then is the YouTube more for family or are you going to kind of do a little bit of both? I'm going to do both, a little bit of both, but the podcast yeah. is, of course is going to be more like a forum like this, whether it's interviewing other psychologists, accountants, other attorneys, or just in general, you know, bringing information uh, in, in presentation format. Uh, but in the videos are going to be more short. You know, uh, when people have like, you know, maybe five, 10 minutes, five to eight minutes, it depends. Some of them will be one to two minutes and a quick hello, because I know nice. some of them can get long. So yeah, yeah. I honestly, I prefer um, a, like the short where I learn something real, you know, it's real short. Yes. I learn something and then I can, you know, retain that. And then I can watch another one and, and learn something and take that tip mm -hmm. away. Now, I like that format myself. So um, what's the uh, <clears throat> what's the frequency you, you're thinking about doing for it? As far as how, much, how many you produce, I guess, in a month? Probably in a month, I'll produce, I'll start producing a couple, maybe three, three to four in the first month, three <clears> to four <throat> the next month, and then I might taper off till about two every month. That's my hope on the YouTube video. So on podcast, I'm going to shoot for once every two weeks, and then I might increase the, the frequency of it. I think it's a good way to start. Don't, don't okay. go overboard. You know, you'll get it down and, and figure it out and start to figure out your lighting and, you know, your sound and your voice and all that stuff. And then you can start to... Yeah to do it more after that. So yes, hopefully yeah. people have patience with me as I learned through that. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think we did have one more comment from Sean that he asked. I'll throw that up here. Are immigration matters more highly prevalent in Miami? 
Yeah. Um, I don't specifically do immigration law, but I do know just from other attorneys that I've spoken to it is, and I actually get a lot of referrals from immigration lawyers for family and corporate matters. So, okay. and it's been high. It's been really, it's been pretty high lately. So there's definitely an uptick in it on immigration cases, whether it's for business reasons or family. There's various different reasons, right? Why, you know, whether different visas that someone can get or potential reasons they can come here. Some people might come on an E2 visa, and in which case I'm helping with a corporate plan or something of that nature. And other times there are family cases that arise in a totally in a litigation, in a sort of um, asylum case, but it needs to be resolved as well. On the family side, there might be child support issues. There might be, unfortunately, sometimes domestic violence issues and divorces. So I get referred to those cases as well. Definitely an uptick in Miami, though. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, as I said, I didn't think you practice in immigration law, but that's good that you're, you got connections, you're getting referrals from, from those, those firms that, that makes a ton of sense. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of crossover with the different firms that don't practice some of the things that you do. Um, so what is the kind of, uh, give us a little bit about the plans, you know, going forward, um, next year, five years, obviously got the, the podcast and you're, you're investing in, uh, in your firm and, and the content and, and, and how you're getting your name out there. And how you're, you know, you're helping, you know, your potential prospects as well. And what's, you know, what's kind of the plans with the outlook to grow the firm for the next year to five years? Well, well, hopefully we were starting this before COVID kind of interrupted it. But uh, basically, I, hopefully I'm going to be expanding into New York and some of the other European countries and, uh, you know, other countries around the world. Well, small offices, maybe partnering with other law firms in those countries, but trying to bring in the business that, you know, that want to companies that want to work in the United States and basically help them come here and develop a liaison with international type lawyers and other companies outside the U S as well. So very cool. That's interesting. All right. So that's something that's on the radar the next year or two or. Yeah, probably we're looking at three to you five years. Love New York. I love New York. I love New York. Yeah. So <laughs> my second home. So. <laughs> now is uh, are you looking to, to bring on a, a, an additional attorney to, to be serving up there in, in New York? Yes. I mean, it'd have to be someone barred in New York. I mean, I'm that I'm also looking to, to finalize my bar in New York as well, but it'd be someone nice. with New York. Yeah. If it's barred in New York with a separate office up there. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Actually, um, I, I talked to a young, young lawyer. She had just started her firm mm-hmm. in the middle of the pandemic and um, she uh, was French and she worked with French businesses trying to do business in the U S and she joined things like uh, there, I guess there's like a, a French chamber of commerce and, and she mm-hmm. speaks French of course. Um, and she said that was a huge source for her. So I'm, I'm sure there's kinds of, uh, tons of things like that. Um, but I think there was like a French Chamber of Commerce in, in New York uh, that she yeah. was part of. There's actually but, one here in Miami and there's actually a, a Spanish um, sort of Chamber of Commerce and there's a German one. And, and that's where I was starting to head towards the, you know, to, to go to some of the events and connect with people there when the pandemic kind of hit. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, things are returning a little bit back to normal. And uh, yeah. I, I, I like getting out and talking to people, meeting people. Um, so hopefully that'll that'll return to normal uh, here soon, and we'll be able to do those kinds of things. So, yes. Another mm-hmm. from Sean. Fun personal <laughs> question. I don't speak Spanish, so. Que idioma hablas? Que país? Is what he's asking. Fue un personal question. Okay, so I do. I mean, I speak English and Spanish. So puedo hablar español como normal, Mi mamá, my mother is Puerto Rican, so that's where it comes from. Yeah. So I was born and raised here, but my mother is Puerto Rican. With Spanish, okay. ultimately Spanish descendants into Spain and so forth in the Canary Islands. But yes, uh, and I can understand quite a bit of French, but although my speaking, I need practice with my friends. So, je peux parler le français, mais il faut que je pratique. Very nice. I'll have to connect you with uh, my French lawyer friend that I had on uh, back a few months ago. 
<laughs> I think so. I think it seems like a good connection and I could practice my French. So <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Regina, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, very excited about your podcast and uh, the YouTube channel. I think it was a great idea. Uh, I feel like a, a, not enough law, law firms are really tapping into that. You know, I feel like sometimes people just think, well, we can't do that or we don't have the resources. And um, some of the stuff is, you know, you just got to take the next step and do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can use a phone or, you know, this mic I have, it's a you know, hundred and some bucks. It's it's not a big deal. But yeah. uh, I think it's just, you know, having that initiative, making a plan for it like you guys mm-hmm. have done and, and just going for it. So I think that's yeah. excellent. So kudos again to that. Anyone tuning in again, again, check out uh, Regina at her website. From there, she's got links to her Facebook and LinkedIn and all that stuff. You can check her out and follow her there. All your managing partners out there watching, if you need help with marketing, digital marketing, that's what my company does. And uh, you need to look at what Regina and her firm are doing. They're doing great things. Uh, They have a great website. So uh, something to check out. And I'm sure she'd love to uh, answer any questions you have uh, when it comes to marketing about what they're doing. So Regina, anything else you'd like to add before we go? No, that's all. Uh, thank you very much for having me. <laughs> no, thanks so much for sharing. And uh, if it's a nice sunny day there in Miami, it's a little overcast here. We got some rain going on. So it actually is here too, unfortunately. Okay. But you know, you can't. It can't be sunny every day. You have to. You know, you have to have the opposite to be reminded of how beautiful it is when it is sunny. And sometimes <laughs> it, it it encourages also other type of thoughts and you know pensiveness. So it's like I said, yeah. you can't have the light without the dark. So <laughs> my grass into the rain. So that's good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right Regina, well, thanks so much for joining okay. us uh have a good day have a good weekend and Thank everyone you. we will see you soon yes bye-bye bye <laughs>